Metaxas Show with your host, Eric Metaxas. Folks, welcome to the show. Remember, I promised that John Zmirak would be on the show. Promises made, promises kept. John Zmirak, welcome. Hey, Eric. It's great to talk to you, Ken. Now, is it just me or do you look like you've been in Europe? Yeah, I was was at a quasi-academic conference in the gorgeous city of Florence. I got to go to Mass at the Duomo, the church where Savonarola condemned the Borgia Popes and was outside of which he was burned at the stake. Uh, So it was, and we had exquisite food and really fascinating conversations with people like, people such as James Tour, the nanotechnology inventor and authority on intelligent design, Stephen Meyer, the philosopher of science, author of The Return of the God Hypothesis, the wonderful Michael Behe, author of books like uh, Darwin's Black Box and The Edge of Evolution. Um, it, was, it was a really wonderful gathering. Well, I have to say, you've just mentioned three Socrates in the City guests. I had Michael uh, Behe on, uh, I guess it's about three years ago at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. We've had Dr. Stephen Meyer many times. And very recently in Houston, I interviewed Dr. James Tour. Obviously, he's, he's, he would be known to people through my book, Is Atheism Dead? But I got to interview him for Socrates in the City, um, and which reminds me, was David Berlinski at this event? He was with a magnificent walking stick with a gold top. I was very disappointed to hear that it was not a sword cane, but I told him he should tell people that it is. That's a sword cane. Well, David Berlinski will be our guest at Socrates in the City on November 1st here in Manhattan. That's next week. Folks, if there's any way you can get to New York City, there are rooms at the Union League Club if you want to stay there November 1st. There's nobody like David Berlinski. I mean, I tried to sum him up. And I fail every time. I mean, do you have any idea how you sum up the genius of David Berlinski? Imagine if you combine my brain and yours and the ability to do math, then you would get some idea. Is that a beagle or your stomach? That was was the ringtone of my phone, uh, which is one of my old beagles, Franz Joseph. So you you were saying that uh, we have... David Berlinski is if you combine your brain, my brain and who's all who else and the ability to do math, because he's a genius mathematician, too. I I mean, it's just you're uh, you when you're in his presence, you just feel totally inferior. Usually when you're around someone who's a scientific genius, you're like, yeah, but he probably can't write a grocery list. Right. Or when or, you know, people like you and me, we can't do math, but, you know, we can write funny autobiographies and we can write essays. This guy can do everything. He could probably beat me up, too, even though he's in. The <laughs> so I, you know, this was a profoundly humbling experience being around all these super geniuses. I felt like I should just be like bringing them cocktails and maybe. Well, do honestly, Berlinski, I just have to say that he's written a book. I'm reading his book right now about Isaac Newton and it is unbelievably brilliant. And in many cases, so funny that I scream. I mean, he is just this, I mean, he's an amazing writer, very poetic, very witty, but David Berlinski, Socrates in the city, November 1st, go to SocratesInCity.com. But anyway, so you were just in Florence with, with them and with a host 
of other kind of extraordinary folks. So, but I'm glad you're back, John, because we, we kind of missed you. It's weird uh, to go a week <laughs> without John Zmirek. So thank you. You had the back. wonderful Raymond Ibrahim who he, he shares, he shares my mission. He, he's not as funny as I am because he deals with deadly serious subjects, right? Like the persecution of the church all around the world by global Islam. Now, I deal with serious subjects, too, but I'm kind of a smart aleck about them. But that's because of a brain defect. And <laughs> that's how God made yeah. me. He crossed the wires. That's his, you know, I can. Well, it's, look, I, I think I told you this when, when I was in Cleveland. I called you and talked to you and I and I said, people come up to me and they tell me they listen to my program. And many of them say and we particularly love John and they never pronounce Zmirak correctly. That's a moment for me to say it's Zmirak, Z-M-I-R-A-K. OK, so you're back. The only person outside my immediate family who has pronounced it correctly. That that is hilarious to me that your phone, t- your ringtone it's my beagle, Franz Josef. Barking beagle. But it sounds like it sounds a little bit like a like a seal, like yeah, a seal's he, bark. They named him Andre at the dog shelter where I picked him up after the TV seal. That's a seal called on. And, and yeah, he, that was he, that was the sound he would make when he could smell a cat. He would announce he would announce the cat to the whole rest of the imaginary pack. He wouldn't do anything to the cat. He would go right up nose to nose at the cat and just stare at it. But. When he smelled that a cat had been somewhere, he would meet, he, he would bay like that for 15 or 20 minutes. And there's nothing you could do. He wouldn't stop. Sometimes you'd have to pick him up and carry him away and he would continue to bay like that. It was, it was fantastic. I've rescued a lot of de- beagles over the years. I know you have. Now, special so you were away in Europe, but have you been writing? Is there anything That's right. that, That's, that, that yeah, we can talk no, about? Absolutely. Um, I've got a piece at stream.org. A, a recent one called should Christians try to think the best of our enemies motives or is that just stupid? Okay. What do you mean by that? Okay. Should we, do we have to think the best of our enemies motives? For instance, when Klaus Schwab says he wants everyone to own nothing and have zero privacy and get rid of private property and put everyone under global monitoring through uh, bio, biomechanical devices embedded on our bodies in the course of mandatory vaccines, do we have to think, well, you know what? I'm sure he means well. I'm sure he thinks the world would be a better place. Well, he and I just differ on the facts about what would make the world a better place. Uh, or or uh, may we think this is sinister. This is terrifying. This, as far as I can tell, is a bad person. I hope he repents. I'll maybe pray for his his conversion. Um, I like to tell people I pray for my enemy's deathbed conversions as soon as possible. Well, John, I mean, look, this brings up an issue. Um, I was this morning listening uh, to a talk that Sidney Powell gave at a church uh, in Nashville. And it was really moving to me to hear her talk about praying for her enemies because she has vicious, horrible, horrible enemies. But as a woman of genuine Christian faith, she prays for them. Why? Because if we allow ourselves 
to hate. Uh, and if we don't separate the sin from the sinner, it affects us. It, it corrupts our own souls. And so God wants us to forgive our enemies and pray for enemies. We still fight them. Right. Well, we pray the for them. We pray for their eternal salvation. We don't pray for their success. You know, the soldiers about to land in Normandy weren't praying that Hitler got what he wants, gets what everything he wants. They were praying for his defeat. So when we pray for enemies, we pray for their repentance. Of course. Eternal salvation. We pray that they they lose the ability to do damage. And that's why I joke. I pray for my enemies deathbed conversions as soon as possible so that the amount of damage they can do to the world is diminished. I think that's my stomach now. I just want to say that that one was my stomach. So you are, we um, up, are we coming up on a break at any point? Yes, very soon. Very okay. soon. I, I want to say before we go to the break, um, it's good to have you back. And it's good to be talking about what we're going to be talking about today, because we need to frame our battle in the right way. We do pray for our enemies. What does that mean? It means that they are human beings created in God's image who are in danger of everlastingly being out of the presence of God. It is not his will that they should perish. So yes, we want to fight them so that they don't do evil and harm other human beings. But um, if you're a person of Christian faith, you understand, yes, we pray for our enemies. And part of praying for our enemies would be pray that they would be defeated, that they would not do the harm that they're doing, um, which is not a small thing. We'll be right back, folks. I have the privilege of speaking with John Zmirak. Folks, don't go away. Welcome back. I'm talking to John Zmirak. He's back from Europe. He claims to have been to Europe. But, John, you you seem the same. There's a, a beautiful background behind you. I think that's Hieronymus Bosch painted. Uh, and uh, we're talking about your article at stream.org. It has the helpful title. Go ahead. Oh, OK. Um, should Chris. Uh, sorry. Should Christians try to think of the best of our enemy's motives, or is that just stupid? Now, if you look at the article, there's a picture with it that kind of almost makes the article unnecessary. It's a picture of Neville Chamberlain and Adolf Hitler at Munich. Neville Chamberlain thought the best, strove to think the best of Hitler's motives. He really just wants to protect the Sudeten Germans from those nasty, mean, democratic liberal Czechs who are presumably persecuting them because Hitler said so. And why would somebody lie about something like that? And Hitler has no further territorial demands in Europe. And uh, we're going to achieve peace in our time just by appeasing him, by giving him half a loaf and he'll settle for that and we'll avoid war. That's one example, one infamous example of thinking the best of your enemy's motives. A current infamous ridiculous example is uh, House Leader Kevin McCarthy, who's saying, we're not going to impeach Joe Biden. We're not going to hold political hearings on our, on our enemies. That's what the Democrats do. We're not going to stoop to their level. 
oh, so you're not going to actually protect us. You're not actually going to play the political game by the new rules that are in effect. No, you're going to pretend that this is 1950 when both political parties are pro-life, pro-American and patriotic, which isn't true now. The Democratic Party now is the party of death. It is the party of open borders. It is the party of treason. And if you look at Ukraine, it's the party of World War III. But no, we're not going to be rude to them because we play nice because we're seven-year-old girls and we're tattletales. I mean, it's just staggering to me. I want to say this is important, what you just said. Um, I was recently, as you know, in Ohio. I was in Cleveland the night before. I was in Columbus, Ohio, actually in Genoa, not not Genoa, Genoa. You were in Italy. I was in Ohio. And while I was there, uh, I did an event, a Salem Talkers event with Hugh Hewitt and Brandon uh, Tatum and uh, somebody that I consider a hero. uh, Jim Jordan was there. Uh, and I rather pointedly asked him when I had a, a moment to talk on stage about Kevin McCarthy. If he becomes the Speaker of the House, um, is he someone who understands what is at stake? Because this is the problem, as you know, and I know, is that they're just a tiny handful of pe- people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and, and Jim Jordan and Tom Cotton and just a handful of these folks, Josh Hawley, who understand that what we're dealing with is evil. And if you don't understand you're dealing with evil, I mean, if Neville Chamberlain didn't understand that he was dealing with evil, of course he would do what he did. So I'm very sorry to hear you say that Kevin McCarthy has been on the record talking like that. That is very upsetting. Well, remember, Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise on January 6th were chatting about, oh, Oh, we think this is an impeachable offense. Maybe Trump will go to jail. They were like they were talking like Democrats. Half or more of the Republican Party have been the Washington generals whose job it was to lose gracefully to the Globetrotters every single night. And they didn't they don't they don't like the fact that Trump rocked the boat. They don't like the fact that he actually tried to win and actually tried to reverse the profoundly evil, toxic, poisonous, anti-human insane, demonic policies of the Democratic Party. I hope I'm putting a fine enough point on this. They are the party of the guy of the person who made the head spin around in the exorcist. They are the party of the gathering swine driving them into the sea. Uh, Yes. When you say demonic, we want to be very clear. We mean it quite literally. That's right. That's right. So, John, but what would you do? I don't know if you know enough about politics. I don't to know what to suggest. In other words, if Kevin McCarthy becomes speaker of the house uh is there anybody who could be a better speaker is there a movement to find somebody who's a little bit more of a a freedom loving patriot who understands we're facing evil either one of my beagles would make a better speaker i have shoes that would make better speakers (laughs) but um not all my shoes but several of them uh i i think probably the republican party is run like a sorority Remember, Bob Dole got to be our presidential candidate because it was his turn and he waited patiently and it was his turn. Nobody thought he would win, but it was Bob's turn. So Bob got to run and got to lose. Um, So I think there needs to be a rebellion within the Republican Party and they need to purge people like Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. Ideally, I would like to see them 
defeated at the polls. I would vote for any Democrat against these people, because once a rhino is in office, he never leaves. He never leaves. Lindsey Graham will still be senator from South Carolina in 400 years. Uh, his mummified body will, be, will still be holding that Senate seat. So, like Jeremy Bentham. Like Jeremy Bentham, except he will still talk. And he'll still have his head on top of his shoulders. And Lindsay, you have always with you. So, but I mean, look, we can all agree. You and I agree on this. But the question is, how does one get it done? I mean, I felt that Jim Jordan was in the position of having to defend Leader McCarthy because he's a congressman and he wants to play ball. We need someone who's willing to attack Leader McCarthy. We need someone who's willing to savage him. That's how the Democrats win. They, they're ex- the Democrats extremists are in control of their party. Right. Our party is controlled by timid, cowardly, bland, apathetic. OK, Mike Pence. You know, we all knew I was talking about Mike Pence, right? The likes of Mike Pence. A warm bucket of spit is what one vice U.S. vice president described. He said the U.S. vice presidency is not worth a warm bucket of spit. In Mike Pence, we actually had a warm bucket of spit. And now we hear he's going to run for president. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing him humiliated on stage by Donald Trump and getting one percent in the polls. Because all the people who work for the Republican Party in that given state will vote for him and they will be the only ones who vote for him. Well, on the stage at the Salem uh, Talkers event, he, I uh, I called Mitch McConnell a bum. Um, and then I segued to what I thought of McCarthy. Um, I don't know if Mitch McConnell is a bum, but I will tell you this much. Maybe I maybe I would I, I, I shouldn't have put it that way. But the point is it should have been much harsher. I've known bums who are very nice guys, hobos. No, Mitch McConnell is actively trying to defeat several Republicans because they're aligned with Trump. He is withholding money from several important races because those candidates are too closely aligned with Trump. He wants them to lose to the Democrats. This is called a traitor. This is called a traitor. The difference between him and Benedict Arnold is Benedict Arnold actually was a hero for a while and won some significant battles. I don't know what Mitch McConnell has ever accomplished except to get some tax cuts from multinational corporations moving our jobs to China. And I have to point out, in case people aren't aware, Benedict Arnold at no stage in his career looked exactly like a turtle. Which is very interesting. Um, John, when we're talking about people like McConnell and and McCarthy, I mean, again, I'm not impressed by McCarthy. Uh, You know, that's putting it mildly. But I I think um, the question is, how do those who understand we're facing evil, um, what do they do about it? I mean, you've got so many. How do the Democrats extremists control the party? I'll tell you how they make it clear they're not going to play ball. They're going to tear the house down like Samson. They're going to tear down the temple unless they get what they want. So the Democratic moderates go, well, I don't feel that strongly, but okay. So we have to imitate them. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders, they have captured the Democratic Party. Their tactics worked. Their tactics are not intrinsically evil. We're not talking about poisoning people. They were simply intransigent. We have to be intransigent, too. No, 
we're not going to vote for corporate tax cuts unless you build us a wall. If we had said that in 2016, guess what? We'd have a wall now. Instead, we have nothing. A couple of companies got some tax breaks. President Trump hired, appointed a bunch of people like this on the advice of Mike Pence. Mike Pence is the guy whose fingerprints are on the likes of Nikki Haley at the U.N., and McMaster's and all the other empty suits who who betrayed Trump. And, and basically, Trump was a lame duck for four years. He was not Hillary. And that was great. He was not Romney. Also great. But sadly, he wasn't really Trump because Trump didn't get that's, to Trump. That's right. Uh, folks, I want to remind you, uh, ADF, we're doing a campaign with ADF before we get back. To John Smirak. I want to talk a little bit about the Alliance Defending Freedom, but we've got plenty more with John Smirak. How right your arms feel around me. John Smirak is my guest which is why I'm happy. John Zmirak, you've written a ton of articles at stream.org. Now it's required on this program, not just that you go to metaxastalk.com and give to the Alliance Defending Freedom, but that you go to stream.org and print out John's articles and leave them in the food court at the mall or something like that. John Zmirak, tell us about the woman in Belgium. This is a really tragic and, and frankly infuriating story. The the title of my article is Western Civilization Died by Euthanasia in Belgium this year. In lieu of flowers, please send prayers. And the picture is Notre Dame burning. Uh, This is a story that I saw and reported at LifeSite News. And if you're not following LifeSite News, you're missing everything. Because LifeSite News is the most comprehensive, sincere, thoughtful consistent pro-life publication in the world. So, of course, it's banned from virtually all social media. It's banned from YouTube. It's banned from Twitter. It's banned from Facebook. You have to go to lifesitenews.com and subscribe to their updates to get stories like this one. Um, This is a woman. Her name was Shanti DeCorte. She was age 23. She was physically healthy. She was just euthanized with the approval of the Belgian government. Why? She was suicidally depressed because of PTSD from a Muslim terrorist attack on the airport in Brussels. She okay, was a high school. Just, just to clarify, so to save her, this poor depressed woman, from killing herself, they killed her. She signed up for the legal euthanasia program in Belgium. In Belgium and and Holland, euthanasia deaths count for 2% of the deaths every year. And a majority of them are physically healthy. These are just people who are depressed and the government gives up on them and says, but we'll kill you. You know, we can kill you. That's cheap. Uh, We can't, we're not going to be depressed anymore. Look on the bright side. You'll only be dead. This is where the culture of death leads. And I I have an extended argument here, Eric. I want you to think about this. She, she, okay, first the story. She was a high school student on a class trip. They were going to Rome. They were at the airport. And 
Muslims blew themselves up to kill as many Westerners as possible. And for many Muslims, this is a religious duty. Uh, this is jihad. These guys blew themselves up. She witnessed it. She was so traumatized by it that she at any noise would cause her a panic attack. Eventually, she couldn't leave the house. She was so haunted by this incident. And she went to various therapies. Nothing seemed to help. So the Belgian government euthanized her. Now, if those jihadis had survived the attack, they would not have been executed because there's no death penalty in Belgium. There's no death penalty in Europe. Now, it is not an accident that in countries where abortion and euthanasia are legal, the death penalty is not. Uh, there's this idiotic idea that it's pro-life to oppose the death penalty. No, no. Opposing the death penalty is part of the culture of death. And this is something that John Paul II, God, God bless him, did not understand. In college, I don't know if you got in these kind of arguments. I would always have the abortion argument with a woman on the second day, you know, to weed her out if she was pro-abortion, because I didn't want to waste any money or time or tears on someone who believed in killing babies. So, you know, get that over with on the second day. Um, and sometimes... People would say, well, you're you oppose abortion, but you're for the death penalty. And I would say, OK, I'll make you a deal. I'll give up the death penalty if you'll give up abortion. I'll stop killing the guilty if you'll stop killing the innocent. Not one took the deal. Not one liberal in America would say, get rid of abortion. But the price is the death penalty. Not nobody would accept that deal, which means they're lying. They don't care about the sanctity of life. They care about something quite different. They don't want life and death to be connected to innocence and guilt or justice. They don't, they don't regard these things as real because those things are rooted in God. They're rooted in the Bible. They're rooted in natural law and divine revelation. They don't believe in these things. Instead, instead, they are utilitarians. And what is a utilitarian? He is someone, and by the way, that is the dominant school of ethics in the university. If you go to Princeton, Harvard, Yale, utilitarianism. What that means is we want to maximize the number of happy moments for people and animals on earth. We don't know, believe in an objective good. We don't believe in objective evil, but we know suffering is bad. So we want to minimize suffering. That's it. That's the only goal of life is to have as many happy moments, as many warm cuddlies, warm fuzzies, and as few cold pricklies as possible. So if you believe in that, that the only good thing is maximizing the number of happy moments for people and anim increasingly animals, um, if someone is retarded or crippled or old and sick, you think they don't have very many, they're not going to have that many happy moments. And it's expensive. Taking care of these people costs money. That takes away from my happy moments. And the happy moments of other young, healthy, rich people like me. So we're going to allow for euthanasia. We're going to abort Down syndrome kids. We're going to euthanize old people um, because they don't, they're not going to have happy moments anyway. Whereas I have a lot of happy moments left. And so I don't want to spend money keeping old people alive. I don't want to spend money caring for the chronically sick. Uh, providing resources and programs for the handicapped. No, I want to maximize my happy moments. So you can't execute terrorists because 
they, they might still have happy moments. You know, you'll keep them in prison, a nice, comfortable prison with pornography and video games and, you know, Muslim Muslim clerics to be there. Well, John, their we, we have to say that most people know that suffering is not always bad. If you exercise and it's hard and you struggle, you know that there's a reason for the pain or the difficulty or the discomfort. And in life, we all know, I know that some of the worst things I've been through have ended up leading to some of the best things like my coming to Christian faith. And so most people um, sort of know that. And so this is a lie that life is all about being happy and avoiding suffering. Not quite. We'll be right back to unpack this further with John Zmirak. Welcome back. Talking to John Zmirak. John, we were just talking about this horrible story. You, you've written about it at stream.org about a young woman. How old is she? She was 23. Okay. The, the age of my daughter. And she was a bystander at a Muslim terrorist attack in the Brussels airport. She was so traumatized by it psychologically. She couldn't recover. She was afraid to leave the house. Instead of a devote the Belgian government should be on the one hand giving her whatever resources she needs to get better. It should also be expelling from the country jihadi Muslims who do things like this. Why are there jihadi Muslims in Belgium? That's another failure. Belgium won't protect its citizens from foreigners with extremist religious beliefs who have no place in that country. They don't belong there. But liberal humanitarianism, they bring them in. And then the, the local populace have to deal with their violence and fanaticism and insanity. That all ties in. The same idiot who won't control the border, won't keep out jihadis, won't execute terrorists, will euthanize their victims. It all goes together. This is the culture of death. This is the suicide cult that is Western liberalism. It, it, and it, it, it's going to die and it deserves to die. The question is, will it bring us all down with it? It's just unbelievable that they would take the life of a 23 year old. The victim, they can execute. Because she was depressed. They said, well, we'll we'll help you out. We will kill you legally, quote unquote, legally. We will kill you. And then you won't have to worry about possibly being depressed into the future. It's horrifying. Uh, and I ask you folks to go to stream.org, read the article for yourself. Um, very sad, John. Very sad. They'll only execute the victims, not the terrorists who did it. Just keep that in your head. Keep That's the thing to focus on. If the terrorists had survived the attack, they would be in a comfortable prison and the government would be spending plenty of money to keep them comfortable. Money it didn't spend to try to help the victim get better. This is the insanity of the left and the center left. <laughs> and, and frankly, our Republican rhinos, too. None of them have an answer to this. Well, the answer I, is Christ. There's no other answer. I know you can stay on into hour two because I want to unpack this with you. I hate when people say unpack, but I couldn't think of a better word. Um, I, I, I want to get into this because 
there are signs of hope. Uh, Maloney in Italy uh, just became uh, the leader of Italy, who is a pro-family, pro-normal, sane woman, courageous woman who quoted Chesterton a few weeks ago when she was uh, uh, when she gave her victory speech. So there are bright spots. I know that even in Sweden, I heard recently from Katie Hopkins that there's hope in Sweden as well. Yeah, uh, not everyone is a suicidal buffoon yet. Uh, only the people in charge. And the one way the way to know if somebody is worth supporting is if they get compared to Hitler and Mussolini. And they're already comparing Meloni to Mussolini. They're comparing the people who won in Sweden to the Nazis. They compare Viktor Orban in hung- Hungary to the Nazis. If the left is not calling you a Nazi, you're not trying hard enough. You're not doing it. <laughs> that's, very, that's very well put. I know it is kind of amazing. But, but I mean, you've just mentioned Viktor Orban in Hungary. I mean, there is clearly a backlash to the lunacy. Things have gotten so bad that we are seeing some signs of hope. That's right. And uh, even, even people who aren't very good, like Macron in, in France, he is rebuilding Notre Dame the way it used to be. Against the wishes of the Vatican, who wanted to make it into a kind of terrarium slash habit trail uh, to be yeah. like oh, an eco A safe space with cuddly animals. Uh, we're going to be back, folks, in hour two with John Zmirak. Only a fool would go away. So we'll see you on the other side. Folks, welcome to Hour Two. I'm talking to John Zmirak. John, uh, you wrote a wonderful article. I put it all over social media about this film called Amsterdam. Talk about this. This is an amazing concept. First of all, Amsterdam is a, I think it's a really fun, funny, and and emotionally moving story. It's kind of long, but I think it works. It's It's a, it has the feel of like a 1930s screwball comedy kind of like Preston Sturgis's movies like Sullivan's Travels or Hail the Conquering Hero or uh, His Gal Friday. It's an old-fashioned movie in that sense. And it's set in the 1930s, during the Depression, during the rise of fascism and communism around the world. Um, It stars Christian Bale and Margot Robbie with smaller roles for Robert De Niro, Taylor Swift, Mike Myers, Chris Rock, Remy Malek, all a bunch of really terrific actors. And it's beautiful art deco interiors. And that's my favorite architectural style. Great, beautiful gowns for the women, tuxedos for the men. It's gorgeous to look at. It's funny. It's moving. And its villain is Planned Parenthood. Okay, you're not joking. Folks, if you read the article at stream.org, you can see this is true. Now, clearly... The people who made this film, this is a big Hollywood film. They never would have wanted anyone to know that the actual villain is Planned Parenthood. So what do they do to hide that? Okay, well, I don't think they realized it, frankly. Um, The villains of the movie are trying, and I don't want to do too many spoilers, but the villains of the movie are a cabal of American businessmen who want to overthrow Franklin Roosevelt and put in a fascist dictatorship using 
disgruntled World War I veterans and military heroes as their front men, as their puppets. And this really happened. It was something called the business plot, where a bunch of industrialists approached General Smedley Butler, who was really popular former World War I commander, and they wanted him to be their figurehead and overthrow the US government and create a fascist dictatorship. They were inspired by Mussolini. They were inspired by Hitler. Remember, this is the early 30s. The Holocaust hadn't happened yet. Fascism was, was, was fashionable in certain circles. The New Republic once said we needed an American Mussolini. Yes, they wrote that. Uh, so in the movie, there's this cabal of businessmen trying to take over the government. They're called the Committee of the Five. And this is a subplot in the movie, but there's a subplot. One of the char black characters gets shoved into a sterilization clinic run by the committee of the five. And, and the doctors there say, we can, we, can, we can stop the curse. We can stop the curse of your genetics right now, right here. We can stop it. We're here to purify the race. And I think what the makers of the movie did not realize is that the sterilization that exists, there was mandatory sterilization in 13 states in America. Um, people who failed culturally biased IQ tests would be forcibly sterilized by the government. It happened to at least 60,000 Americans, disproportionately black and immigrant, Southern European people who didn't get the questions on the very waspy IQ tests because it made references to tea towels and cricket and croquet, and they didn't know what the hell that was. So they were marked as morons, that was the term used, and they were forcibly sterilized, 60,000 of them. The sponsor of these laws was the American Birth Control League led by Margaret Sanger. She wrote the model legislation. She helped lobby to get it passed in 13 states. She tried to get the American Baby Code passed. She proposed that in 1934. The American Baby Code would have required every couple who wants to have a kid has to apply for a one-time license from the federal government to have a child, and it's not renewable. So she wanted to put our family life, our childbearing, under the control of the federal government of elites like herself. Her, her sterilization and eugenics program directly inspired the one in Nazi Germany. And Germany celebrated that they brought her her right-hand man harry laughlin uh who was one of the authors of the eugenics laws worked with planned parenthood on the board worked with margaret sanger on the board of her organization the nazi government flew him to germany gave him a whirlwind tour whirlwind tour and gave him an honorary degree from kaiser wilhelm university margaret sanger also collaborated with someone named uh oh i'm sorry i have to get his name <laughs> She, she collaborated with a German eugenicist named Eugen Fischer. Eugen Fischer wrote the eugenics textbook that converted Hitler to eugenics. Eugen Fischer had run a concentration camp in Africa during World War, before World War I, where he killed, sterilized, and experimented on thousands of Black Africans. This is the man, Margaret Sanger, she had published his articles, she put him on her board, she invited him to meetings, she had him speak. Planned Parenthood was tied in with Nazi eugenics from the very beginning. Then when Nuremberg happened and they revealed all the horrors that eugenics led to, Planned Parenthood suddenly stopped, suddenly stopped talking about eugenics and started talking about the population explosion. 
They came up with a new excuse to control other people's fertilities, forcibly sterilize them, and put abortion clinics in mostly Black and Hispanic neighborhoods. I don't think the makers of the movie Amsterdam had any idea of this, but this is the real history they're tapping into in this entertaining and really fun movie. So I recommend people see it and use it as a teaching tool. I have an article about it at stream.org, but I also want people to go out and watch this video. It's still on YouTube, miraculously. It's called MAFA 21, M-A-A, -A, F as in Frank A, MAFA 21 Black Genocide. It is a two and a half hour expose of how white elites in America tried to sterilize minorities using the government and Planned Parenthood was at the beating black heart of this entire conspiracy. What's fascinating to me, John, is how there's nothing new under the sun. In other words, the demonic forces that are trying to take children away from their parents today or, or, or trying to get the kids to transition and take uh, hormone blockers and have these, you know, they're, they're trying to, to do this secretly and effectively saying the state owns your children. Um, this kind of thing goes back and we've had to fight it through the decades uh, all the way back. And but you're telling me that this film, Amsterdam, which is an otherwise, you say, very good film, fun film to watch, but that they have put inadvertently, unwittingly, as the villain, the group that became Planned Parenthood. I mean, it's fascinating. Reality always gets you eventually. If you're telling the truth on any level, it's going to, it'll lead to trouble for you if you're allied with folks like Planned Parenthood. And don't rule out divine intervention. You know, th uh, this might be like Gollum biting Frodo's finger off and falling into Mount Doom. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if the film is out, but it's Amsterdam. No, it's out, it's in the theaters. It's really fun. It's a, it's a, you know, you'll go through a whole bucket of popcorn. It's got Margot Robbie. She is so beautiful. It's distracting. It, I, I could watch her just for so the whole, you've, I mean, everybody you mentioned in the cast, it's kind of an amazing cast. Yeah. It's a mainstream film. The, the reason that I wanted to talk to you about this was because I think this is just the nature of reality is that if reality always wins, it's like you're playing against the house. God created reality. And so if you're telling stories, and trying to be truthful or whatever, eventually, you know, the truth will out, as Shakespeare said, it's just a law of the world in which we live. So the fact that they try to make this film where we all know that, you know, sterilizing black people is bad, but what they don't know, what they don't tell you in the film, which is why I wanted to have you on, is that the people behind this are the people behind Planned Parenthood, literally Margaret Sanger and the ones you've mentioned, Eugen, what's his name, Fisher? Eugen Fisher, look him up. Eugen, how do you spell Eugen? F, it's Eugene without the E. Eugen, U, Fisher, e -U -G -E -N, e -U -G -E -N, Fisher. Fisher with a C, F-I-S-C-H-E-R. You look at Eugen Fisher, or better yet, go, go to YouTube and watch MAFA 21. I, okay. I tell you, I, I used up a roll of toilet paper crying watching this video. MAFA 21. John, it's just always a joy to have you, my friend. Thank you. I'm glad you're back to be continued. Folks, this is your daily reminder to please go to MyPillow.com or MyStore.com. And to get huge savings, use the code ERIC. If you don't believe me, here are some celebrity friends. Mama said to use the code ERIC. Use the code ERIC. ERIC. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much.